into farmers, you know. Pick things up, put things down, shovel things. I never really did any farming. But, Do you regret that? Uh, well, I would regret it if I thought it was not um, something that I could change in the future. I shouldn't say I haven't done any farming. I've done a little bit, but like my family historically is farming is the primary thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I like the, I like the way you said it is like, you don't have regrets about it because you can still do it. You know, that's a, that's a good, you're not living in the past with that. Yeah, exactly. Well, I would so like dairy farming is what my family did. And my, you got gr- thick bones. Yeah. Lots of milk. <laughs> I get into fights with people about almond milk, not because it's not good. I, I think it's great. I drink it, but mm-hmm. it's not milk, I would say. I'm drinking oat milk in there. I hope that doesn't offend you. It's, it offends me a little bit, but <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> not really. <laughs> um, hey, everybody. Welcome to Hireth and Other Words. Um, I'm your host, Timothy Mangle. With me is the wonderful, brilliant, and beautiful soul named Jamie Brackman. That's very kind. I don't know if I can live up to all that. Dude, we used to go... We were on the same bus. Bus number four? I think it was one. Was it one? I was on bus four. I I think we switched at one point. I'm pretty sure we were on the same bus for a time. I remember because I was riding... I had the 40-minute bus route. Dude, wasn't it insane? Yeah. I mean, I didn't realize how... Far out in the woods I lived, I think, until... I don't think I realized that until, like, within the past 10 years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, once I started traveling around the country more and going to, like, moderate-sized cities even, I realized, oh, I really grew up in the woods. Because, like, people talk about growing up in a small town, and they're like, you know, 6,000 people. And I'm like, yeah, tiny. Compared to, like, I'm in the suburb of Auburn, you know, mm-hmm. where it's just literally, like, when we got neighbors, it was, like, a notable event in my life. Yeah. Well, like, uh, I was talking to somebody yesterday. We were up we were up north a little bit, and we were talking about, like, you know, if you go north of here, yeah. you... Yeah, it's, it's so much more, like, country. It's so much more, like, out in the woods that it's, like, it's... You you need your neighbors. You need to be dependent on those relationships. Like you need to know, like, yeah, you need to know what they're about. Are they good people? Can you trust them? And the way that you, <laughs> the way that you conceptualize other people, I think, when you grow up in an environment where there simply are not a lot of people around, is completely different from someone growing up in a city or, um, and even just a small town. Because it's like, like I said, when another when I would encounter another person it would feel like an event to me. Whereas yeah. other, and so, so it took me a while uh, of living in cities, even small cities to get used to just the fact of like, yes, I'm walking by you right now, but that doesn't mean I'm going to interact with you. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause that's hard. Like, cause I, I was definitely raised with like, you smile like a nod to the, like the people that are walking by you, you know, which isn't bad, but it does become impractical when... There's a thousand people walking yeah, past you. It's just a product of population density. So at first I read that as like um, a lack of caring or maybe even like a degree of cruelty. But at this point I think I've realized it's really just practical. But... Yeah. I still think there's something to be said for um, 
acknowledging the presence of another human. Yeah, I think, and, it's, I think it's important. And sometimes it's not done. Uh, and it's, it's a defense mechanism. Like I think about where I'm living right now. And, uh, certainly there are people in, in my immediate environment that would, um, create a problem for me if I gave them too much of my attention. Yeah. Yeah. Cause well, they're, they're in a, they're in a sort of a state of, opportunistic desperation where if they can get something from you to even slightly benefit their situation, they will, they will do that. There's all kinds of reasons why somebody would end up in that situation, but you have to, um, it's hard, but you have to learn how to navigate that in a kind way. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, well, I think it's, I I think it's a bit confusing. I think it's beneficial for like, most people to live in a place that is unfamiliar to like the place that they grew up in, you know, cause then it's like yeah. forcing them to, uh, you know, to, to see that other people have a different world view than them, you know? Yeah. And I'd even say a different world altogether. It's like it, when you have a completely different set of experiences from the time you're born up and through adulthood, I mean, it's amazing how much of who we are is preset by the time we're even five years old. And you literally, have, like in terms of developmental psychology, as far as I understand it, your basic personality is pretty much set by age five in terms of the things that trigger, like, trigger you to do certain events. or uh, The habitual patterns. Your are... habitual patterns, exactly. And, and that um, kind of defines the trajectory trajectory of the rest of your life to such a degree that it's hard to say that anybody's really um self-determining i don't believe in 100 percent self-determination i think no. you can um because at what well at you're what born age, into a body and like that already is limiting insofar as your culture your like physical ability so it's like that in and of itself determines a certain thing right and at this it's like i'm 31 and at this point in my life I feel like I've only recently kind of like woken up to myself and a lot of my habits and behaviors that were just kind of happening by default without my intent necessarily. And yeah. I think that's a different process for everyone, but yeah, I would say about when I was 27 was around the time that I started being able to really look at my thoughts and my thought patterns and my, like the, my actions because I felt like I feel like before that I was very much a slave, and not to say that I don't have the t- these tendencies now, but I was very much at the whims of whatever I was thinking, you know. Yeah. And you get to a point where you realize that you're like, oh, that's a voice that I'm hearing, not, and I, and then who is the one that's hearing it, you know? And that that is the question. Well, who's hearing it? Who's hearing it, and who's talking, and what voices are you listening to? Where are they coming from? I, I, and those I, are some damn good questions. <laughs> and like, see what yeah. I appreciate, appreciate about that is no one's asking those questions. I feel like it, I was saying to somebody the other day, we don't, we don't do like everyone knows that people there's, everyone knows someone who is like, I hear voices in my head and like, and or if, or maybe that person themselves, you know, and, or like even we have these own internal struggles of like, I, something in me is telling me to do this thing and I'm, and there's another part of me that's saying no to it. So like there's an internal conflict between yeah. two of you, you know? Yeah. I and, don't think that it, 
it's interesting because when you hear the phrase voices in my head is definitely associated with like schizophrenia and things like that. And that becomes very scary to talk about. Right. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think it's fair to consider that, you know, the individual self is a composition of different identities, which are cobbled together from your culture, from your family, from your friend group and and you know there's all these different versions of a person that it doesn't mean that they're not a single unified being but it does mean that they're uh i think the individual is more affected by like larger forces than we tend to think we don't we assume that like i'm a self-determining individual that and that's the western individual mindset and that's kind of like that's the basis of English common law and things like that, where it's like, and it's based in, it's rooted in Christianity, I think. Um, but it's not exclusively a Christian idea either, especially now. Mm. But I, I think that like the autonomous individual is somewhat of a myth. Ultimately we're so, we're so cobbled together by the things that have influenced and shaped and molded us that, uh, you know, whether it's credit or blame, you can't, give a hundred percent to the individual who's doing a particular thing, whether it's art or if you're talking about, um, you know, some, if their profession or if, if it's their, you know, something they've done that's negative, like whatever the case may be, you know, drug addiction, for example, is a, is a great one because, you know, a lot of times this, the, or substance use disorders would be the correct way to say it, I guess, or at least politically correct, you know, uh, the uh, one view on drug addiction is like, well, that person should have never done that drug in the first place. And then they wouldn't have this problem. You know, uh, it's like sort of the callous, I would say, viewpoint on it of not being able to empathize with people. And then the other one is, well, drug addiction is a disease and this person has no control over it whatsoever. And I don't think that that really helps either. Right. You know, like particularly when it comes to alcoholism, it's like, that's one of the things I kind of, I mean, I've never gone through a 10 step program or anything, but having talked to people, one of the things that is part of a 10 step program, like AA is uh, saying that you have no power over alcohol and your addiction. And that, that to me is like a challenging, uh, I take issue with that. So it's it's kind of, it's kind of funny because I, I, I find myself, talking out you know seeing it from both perspectives where it's like the individual is the most sovereign thing but then at the same time are we are we yeah you know and that's that's that is really conflicting because it's like well who are even like who decided that you would be introverted right who decided like who decided that you were going to want the things that you think that you right. sovereign like in your own free will want and you know? are you, why are you not necessarily the things that you wish that you were mm. you know? that's a great question because and if i w- had the answer to that that i wouldn't be who i am right but like see i had this like i guess you can't escape who you are you know and part of part of the the accepting I think a big part of it is accepting, you know, like, cause I struggle with that too. Cause even in my own life, I want to be like in my own like addictions or whatever. So like, I know I can beat that or whatever, but it's like, well, like, and then being aware of like the 10 step program of being like, well, clearly I haven't been able to beat this, you know? And like, whatever it yeah, is, like, that's a good point. Like, so I don't know if like running at the wall is the right method of like trying to get the door to open, yeah. you know? And that might be my 
that might be like one of my inherited personality traits of just like fighting, you know, to fighting to fix a problem, regardless of whether fighting's the, regardless of whether fighting is the actual solution or not. You know, it's like if you just uh, utilize sheer willpower, you can overcome any obstacle. It's like that's a nice narrative to have. It's a good myth, but does it actually play out in real life when the thing you're fighting is yourself or some? Mm-hmm. internal demon right, right um yeah man and i like i think like all things you have to it's it's probably two-sided right like and that's that's where the confliction comes because we can see the both sides of like i should be strong enough because there is a part of me that doesn't want to do these things that yeah. would mean that that person can prevail but why can't they you know and like i'm as the sovereign individual, I'm giving the order f- for those things. Right. So, like, I, I don't know, man. I think there's a part of me that's, like, maybe it has, comes down to diet. Maybe it comes down to, like, it definitely comes down to trauma and, like, abuse and, like, undealt with shit that, like, your body is holding, you know? Diet, trauma, abuse. Yes. I think those are very key points. Because, uh, like, here's what I'll say. You never, like... No drug addict I've met has ever been like, I had a great childhood. My parents <laughs> loved me. Like, like, and I might have had a great childhood in terms of like in the material world, they sure. had a lot of wealth, but then they're just more likely to be uh, addicted to more expensive substances, which can become even a greater problem. Well, and here's the thing that I think most people, most people, most people are addicts, and I don't think like they realize that, you know? Yeah. Um, and if it's not to point being, if you don't think you're an addict, give me your cell phone for a week. Right. And addicted to what? Um, there's so many. And there's also addicted to like being needed. Like, right. And that's at the deep level, you know, a lot of times I, I've heard a few, uh, people convey the idea that, you know, addiction is about relationship and trying to, um, fill a void, of a, of a relationship. And I think that's probably true in a lot of cases, you know, you create like, I think, uh, nicotine tobacco is a good example. And I, uh, I've smoked and not smoked at different points in my life. And, uh, I think, you know, when you go out for your smoke break or whatever the case may be, you're like creating a relationship with that substance that is, standing in for maybe something else that you want. And mm-hmm. I don't think it's only that, but that's definitely one of the, one of the ways to go. Yeah. Cause I think like it, you're definitely right because it's, it's well, here's okay. So here's the question is like, then what, what, then what is there to fill the void? And the answer I think is something along the lines of, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, I want to say God is my initial re- response, but I have plenty of God and like, I still have this shit. So there's a part of me that's like understanding that there's, I mean, there's, it, it goes back to that conflict of like, there's work to be done, but there's also like, you can't escape your, your, the, the reality you were born into. And I think, I think that that's just the the conflict and the the task of the human is to try to have to bear these incredible uh, paradoxes of like, listen, you're a sovereign being that can make its own your own free will, but at the same time, you ha- you're you've given up your power to the voices inside of your head, 
and make right. it that they're the determining factor on how you perceive reality, how you move through it, all those things. And when you when you talk about um, when you talk about God and substituting uh, filling a void with God is an interesting premise um, because it really depends on what your concept and understanding of God is, um, what that means. Because obviously, by default, God is an infinite topic with infinite variabilities. And there's no, you know, there are many working definitions of what, what God means to each of us. But it's sometimes the definitions of God that people have, I think, are... Um, not helpful from a psychological standpoint and and a lot of times people will um out of a sense of like religious duty even i think can sort of suppress some of their trauma and things like that into religious language and say like um you know i've been given these burdens because i'm strong enough to carry them but then do they actually do they actually heal from them Mm -hmm. Or do they just find themselves in a cycle of? Are they like Jesus? Are they like Jesus with the resurrected holes in his hands, or are they like Jesus with the cross on his back? Right. So like you've like you have to like you have to acknowledge which one you're going to be is the one that shows their holes and like this these are my flaws and I'm aware of them and this is how I I'm better because of them and right or is it there's this thing that's weighing me down and that's going to kill me? Well, and I guess if I had to put it in terms that I'm somewhat comfortable with, I'd say uh, love is the one thing that when it comes to talking about God, if if love is at the center of your definition, that's a good, fundamentally good starting place. And if, if love is anywhere else, I don't think that it's accurate. Right. Um, Based on that, and that I would base that completely on Christianity, although I think you see it play out in everything. You yeah. see it play out in literature. You see it play out in other religions. You see it play out in real life. Most importantly, if you where all those things are derived from, right? If you if you actually, I think pursue love in a real way, um, then that's the same as pursuing Christ, and and. Um, I would say even, I would say based on my experience, having that target in mind is a lot more important than your biblical knowledge or your religious affiliation right, or your or doctrinal beliefs or whatever, any of it. Well, yeah. and that's cause I, I was saying to somebody last night of like, like, I think for people like you and me and the person I was talking to, like we love we love the task of scouring and looking for God. Yeah. And then we find him and he goes, just love everybody. And then we're like, that's it. That's yeah. <laughs> like, and it's, and it's so beautiful, but then like, it's the, it's the hard part is embodying that. The hard part is actually doing it. Yeah. And I think it's, we like particularly, I don't know if it's millennials specifically or if it's our culture or what, but maybe it's the internet. We are so like wrapped up in thinking that we fit, sometimes fail to actually do things. So like we, I, like I think about myself all the time in this context where I'm like, I feel like I've 
intellectually understood like a lot of moral and ethical issues and I have my beliefs about those issues and I'm like fairly confident in them enough that I can like actually do work based on those things and I can actually live my life based on those things. Mm -hmm. But if you never get, I feel like I, for a long time, I never got past the stage of being like, okay, this is what I believe to be true. Now what am I going to do about it? So on issues like, because I mean, it's, and it's very complicated and the problems in the world are extremely complicated and scary. And, you know, it's easy to just get stuck. Um, yeah. And, it's understandable, but I think like if you think about the environment or, or um, racism, things like that, that are kind of like the hard moral um, truths, I would say, of our time, it's, it's, uh, it's not enough to just think about it, you know, and talk about it. Yeah. And it's very easy to believe all the right things and do nothing. And it's, it doesn't, doesn't seem to be helping, you know? And that I, for me, I think you'll agree with this, that true belief is embodied and that, you know, I, I can tell you all day that I believe that your life value has value and has purpose. And this, so does this planet. And so does everybody and everything. But if I don't treat people as such, then people are going to call me a hypocrite, which is hopefully. Hopefully, you know, right? I mean, they will. Like, it'll just be the natural response, you know? Like, right. um, and like, obviously, like, er, see, the the problem is, is that I know so many good people who want to try to give the world the best that they can, and it's because of their circumstances, the their definition of the best that they can give to the world looks like an ideology. And I yeah. think it's... I think if you know anyone listens to the show long enough or talks to me long enough, they're going to see that I have a problem with ideologies or any any sort of fascist thing that's like you can only exist within this box if you agree with the fullness of everything in the box. Right. And uh, <laughs> so I because and that's that's my baggage of me being put in too many boxes and yeah. and having to fight that. But like those are. You know, those are my wounds, right? I'm trying to show them and be like, I'm I'm trying not to be angry at those things because I understand. Well, because here's the thing. I I can't be mad at Christianity for throwing me into the box it is because it also gave me Christ. And I love that being yeah. so much, yeah. you know? So it's like, well, damn. Well, like, and that's a good thing. To, that's a good dynamic to think about. And that's the one that I think about all the time is Christianity versus Christ, I guess, because yeah. I think that it is important to distinguish the two because Christianity has manifested itself in so many different ways throughout history. And you'd have to be willfully ignorant to say that all those ways have been Christ-like. Um, therefore, you And, know, you know, for the benefit of the doubt, you'd have to be willful, willfully ignorant to say that there hasn't been times where the opposite is true as well. Of course. And right. I think, like, regardless of what denomination of... Christianity you're talking about or which iteration or even I would say and the same thing applies for other religions you're going to have people who are genuine seekers and um, are living with Christ in their heart so to speak or in their mind right. and uh, you're going to have people who aren't and uh, like you said that, that fascistic ideology of 
you know, you either consent to this group of suppositions about the world and you're part of our club and therefore you're accepted by God or you don't and therefore you're not. Uh, you know, that's not Christ, in my opinion. That's yeah. antichrist, literally. And I think there are in because I, I I mean in my just my background is that I definitely went to church when I was a kid. Very uh I went to a Methodist church. It was it was I think very good. I was very fortunate to be there when I was young. You know, mom and dad made sure that we went and I think that we learned a lot of like fundamental truths about love and loving others and being part of a neighborhood kind of and stuff like that. And that yeah. was one of the places where I did have socialization when I was young. It was nice. Um, and then like kind of fell away from that and, you know, went through a long period of being atheist. And the reason looking back that I was atheist as a young person, um, is that I didn't, I called bullshit on this, you know, this is the standard that Christ is setting and the church is like down here and it's not about judging people. It's about understanding that like if you claim to be representing God and you claim to be representing Christ and then you don't even try to actually do that, it's going to drive people away. And that's, I think I'm definitely not alone in that. And I came back to faith in a very circuitous way and have cycled through being very fundamentalist in my viewpoint and in all the ways that that goes to now being, I, I don't really know what I, it's different definitions are challenging for me at this point to the point where, you know, I definitely cannot uh, deny that I've experienced the reality of Christ in my life at the same time, Christianity oftentimes is so counter to what I believe and understand Christ to be that I don't know if I fully identify as a Christian at this point. It would be, it's, you know, and that's just me sitting here genuinely right now. Yeah. Maybe, maybe a week from now I'll have some epiphany and feel differently. But see, I think the thing is that we've been, the reason that you, that, that you've come to that conclusion or that place is because that that's what we were told is the right thing is to be a Christian. Right. And so in our heads, we're like, well, I should be a Christian. Because the truth is, is like, like I would I call myself that? It's like, ask me, it depends on the day. You know, yeah. like, I heard somebody, I heard somebody say something similar to that. It was like, you know, some Sunday, like, what is it? It was like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm a Christian. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, I'm not. And then Sunday, I take a Sabbath. And it's like, yeah, man, like that's, it's cause like for me, what comes down, what's most important is the experience of Christ. And like the, for yeah. that, you can say like that, that I've had that in my life and it's a part of my life. It's like, then yeah, man, then like the words around it are just trying to define this thing. I keep getting notifications. I'm sorry if you can hear that on the recording, but uh, <laughs> yeah, if not, then I'm just talking about something random, but yeah, I, I just, cause it's like, well, and even looking at Christ this is something I really wish I imitated better was when someone comes up to me and asks me a question or when someone came up to Christ and was like, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? He would always say, well, what do you think? Yeah. And cause he wanted to a see where they were coming from so he could use their language, mm -hmm. but B to also be like, well, the truth is within you. 
you know? So it's like, let's see what comes out. And that's the thing. Like you see him modeling that behavior all the time. And I would say that I've spent a considerable amount of time studying and reading the Bible, not in an academic setting, but just on my, under my own initiative. And I would say that the character of Christ is the most interesting thing about it. There are a lot of, well, yeah, partly because it's like, is this even one dude? Like, he seems so different in so many places, and like, depending on the gospel, but like, but then there's still this strong through line of like this loving, charismatic, yeah, all inclusive person who like, but he's all things, right? So right, and I would I would say, to some degree, the Christ that we're receiving in the Bible and that we're reading about in the Bible, which is a book that was written by humans. And it's clearly, I mean, the four Gospels are four different accounts, right? From written by four different people, traditionally. Yeah. And so... 30 years plus from the, the, you have the events. To, you have to realize that you're not getting a completely accurate picture of this person. You are getting um, a, a filtered version of the story and the events and the person and it's filtered through matthew mark luke and john exactly at minimum Mm -hmm. you know and that's like the most conservative way you can look at it in a in an um i guess in an academic way or in a reflective way and you know it's not to say that they're not valid accounts and true accounts but you know i think it's mark where after the after uh, the resurrection like there's All no of, resurrection story in Mark. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of Matthew. What, there's one. Sorry, I shouldn't have just blurted that out there. But that's what I think is so interesting that like people don't realize that Matt, like Mark, doesn't talk about the resurrection. Right. Um, Which is wild. But and right. maybe it's uh, maybe it's Matthew where like literally the people get up out of their graves and Matthew. start walking around, yeah. and it's like okay, well that's not in any of the other ones. So what is the person who wrote this trying to say? It, are are you assuming that this was actually an event that occurred, mm-hmm. and but only one of the four people wrote about it? Right. Like, isn't that pretty notable to have and, all those people get up out of their graves, not mentioned in any of the other? Maybe they're more so trying to illustrate a point about like the value of the teachings of Christ and the person that he was, and like even when it comes to, you know, the traditional Christian thing is, you know, the one and only begotten son, right? That's, that's the big, that's what, that's the difference between being, being a Christian and not, is if you believe in like the singular, standards. the singular divinity of Christ, mm-hmm. right? But I mean, even when he was asked if he's the king of the Jews, right? Which if he's the son of man, if he's the, the chosen one and all of that, he just said, you've said that it's so. Yeah, And I think it's still that same way. I think there's a lot more, you know, his big sin in his culture was claiming that he was God's son, yes. But he did also say that he'd be the firstborn among many. Mm-hmm. And his whole point, if you put it into a modern context, wasn't his whole point that we're all God's children? Wasn't that what Christ was yeah. saying? Isn't that what most people still believe today? And, and isn't is- that how he changed and Jesus and impacted re- the world and mm-hmm. like <laughs> why is that it, it seems like it's actually such a simple truth that people miss it and right. think that they have to do something more to earn their their space as the child as earn a, it instead of realizing that 
from the get-go, you've always been a son and a daughter of God. Which is his whole point. Right. Right. And like, you know, what is Jesus? Jesus' favorite title for himself is son of man. And he's, I, what I see him doing that is, you know, when I look at, what I love about Jesus is you can either look at him as God interacting with people or you can look at him as man interacting with people. Yes. And it's, those, those always aren't the same. And, but when you look at him from, you know, the God perspective and him saying, I'm the son of man, it's God saying, listen, it's good to be human. I am intentionally I have said yes to taking on flesh. And that's just that's not just true in me as Jesus. It's true as me and Jamie. It's true as me and Timmy and like everyone listening, you right. know? And I think I I think it's I think it's important to know, you know, it's the lang- you know, we have this language of son and daughters of God, but what that is ultimately trying to relay, again in a in a modern context, is that you are you've emanated out of the original source that everything is flowing from that the big bang extended from that all these things these this is that initial source is this loving yes this giving receiving energy that right. is is poured out and it's yeah it's it's taking it, a philosophical stance on the nature of reality the idea that this is not just some random occurrence of molecules swirling around that ultimately amounts to nothing and has no meaning or purpose, I would say that is a prevailing worldview and not not one that is beneficial for people. Yeah. And if you if you think about if you consider the possibility that everything emanates from a loving source, then you strip everything else away in terms of religion or philosophy and you just start from that concept you can i think systematically kind of approach all the more technical and specific things about christianity with a lot more um clarity clarity yeah because it's very easy to get caught up in the like what does this mean like blah 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 blah. like did he really resurrect like such and such all the things you can't answer Right? right. Because again, that's kind of what I was trying to get at earlier. It's like, it's so much easier to say, like, I'm going to spend all my time questioning and trying to figure out like a more detailed and complex understanding of the truth. Whereas what you really could be doing is just operating from what you already know. Right. And that you don't, the thing is, I would say you don't have to sit in a church every Sunday to operate on that. You don't have to participate in sort of the, the rituals and conventions of Christianity to do that. It's that those things can have value and they're not bad in and of themselves, but those things without the, um, those things without starting from the perspective of God is love are. Well, let me ask what traps. is, what does that look like for you in your life? You know, so you say like, you don't have to go to church and these things to connect this to which I agree but then what does it look like? Yeah, well, it's a really good question, and I it, I think it probably looks different for everyone. For me, I think it's faith in... Um, like, if I choose to act based on my highest ideals and faith that if I 
do good in the world to the best of my ability, that good will result. Um, if I step out in faith and take risks and put myself maybe even to some degree of harm's way, uh, that's a more practical application of Christ and of faith. That's saying that like, even if I perish in this, whatever venture it might be like, you know, if you think about like a firefighter or something like that, that's somebody that's in my mind right now, you know, they're running into a burning building and they might die, let's say, but they're still doing that to save the other person. Right. That's kind of like a classic Christ moment. Right. You're, you're embodying Christ in those moments. And it, in that moment, it doesn't matter if you're a Catholic or you're Protestant or Muslim, atheist, whatever, it doesn't matter doesn't matter your race or your identity of any kind. What matters is what you're doing and what you're embodying in that moment. Is it spirit of heroism and being a heroic person is being Christ because mm -hmm. he's like the ultimate hero. He's the ultimate hero. Yeah. Well, and archetypically so, right? Like he leaves home in heaven. He goes into the like the uh, he goes into the wilderness, which is the chaos that is creation. Right. You know, and has to battle the dragon of being a human. You know, and like. That's that's all of us, baby, and <laughs> um, and it's 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 such a harrowing task, you know, and yeah, I I love for for people I know or people who listen to this to just be encouraged to just be like, I mean, I need to hear this just as much as like anybody, but like you're you're brave, you can do these things. I like you are trapped in your circumstances and whatnot, but that doesn't mean that you can't do do good and and yeah it's it's interesting because i don't want to encourage people to feel like i don't think it's a sense of obligation that mm -hmm. that makes it happen it, mm -hmm. for me it's it's more like it's i mean it's love right it is love yeah and how does that manifest so it's like in any given circumstance you can either choose let's say things that you can choose or not choose you could choose uh to tell the truth or tell a lie and maybe it's you know maybe it's a fundamental truth like telling someone that you love them or it's a fundamental lie like telling someone that you love them when you don't you know and the choices that we make like that define us and whether and consistently choosing the thing that we know to be the best option right that is what creates a Christ-like life or a heroic life. And I really like putting in those terms because it's like you can make a difference. If you, even if your sphere of influence is very small, it's, there's got to be someone in your sphere of influence that is like worth being a better person for. Well, and also, you know, the, I've heard many like teachers say that like, if you fix it within yourself first, then you fixed it within the world, you know, because it exists within you, like whatever the problem is. So yeah. it's like maybe right. some of the greatest ways to love your neighbor is to learn how to love yourself and to learn how to let go and forgive yourself. Such um, a hard thing for so many people. I struggle with that the most, I think. Because we don't have permission to forgive ourselves. That looks different for everybody, you know. What I'm like, it's hard to say, like, you know the things that upset you might not be the same things that upset me. And then like, I'm sure you've been in this because I'm sure, I'm sure you've been in this circumstance because I have many times where I'm forgive, like I'm 
asking for forgiveness or apologizing and the person isn't even upset with me. I've just blown it out of proportion in my own head. Yeah. Because yep. I'm a sensitive little boy. Um, Same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like it's like I'd rather be asking for forgiveness than not. Um, you hear that person being cool in the background. So everyone. cool. I wish uh, I but was then there. there's me being <laughs> judgmental. I'm, I hope he's having fun and being safe. Yeah. The roads are pretty wet today here in Pottsville. I don't know. It's a lot of hills here. Man, it's very hilly. I know. You don't realize it until like you go to the mid... I mean, because you're out... Uh, for those of you who don't know, Jamie is originally from the area, but currently resides in outside of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Yeah. About like an hour. I'm, Actually, I'm in, in Grand Rapids. Are now. you now? Okay. Yep. Awesome. Downtown. So the drive between here and there is probably pretty flat once you get out of Pennsylvania. Yeah. Most of Michigan, by my... In in my opinion, Michigan is a flat state for the most part. I guess there's a little bit of, there's some hills here and there. But I lived in West Virginia for Out several mama. years. Yeah, loved it. Um, did you learn that song while you were down there? I could. I did. I had to. I could probably. <laughs> I went in. I went. You went into the get your license change, and they were like, "Do you know? Can what you country play roads? Take me home, country roads on the guitar, or do you want to move?" <laughs> And I'm like, I guess I'll learn it. No, I love that song. But um, yeah, West Virginia, obviously, mountain, the mountain state, very hilly. And yeah. uh, Pennsylvania, mostly hilly. You know, Michigan, mostly flat. And it, big, it makes a big difference. I used to jokingly tell people that I thought people from Michigan were very flat, too, and they didn't really like that. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you, do you genuinely believe that? I, somewhat. I mean, I think there's definitely... I do think people are shaped by environment way more than, like I said, way more than we realized. And uh, the Midwest... Um, there's the Midwest identity, and then there's the, like, West Michigan identity... And there's the Grand Rapids identity, and I'd say they're all kind of different and overlapping. But mm-hmm. there is a certain kind of like flatness, I think, to people in that area as compared to. There's definitely a lot of characters here in in Schuylkill County, and wow, I mean that's not even uh, that's just factual. I think people are wild, and I don't know what it is. Is is the mountains that makes people a little bit crazy or what? I don't know. Something in the water. Or the water. <laughs> I think I don't but know, man. I mean it's crazy in a good way and also in a bad way. Really maybe it's because ways. maybe it's because we live on the hills, you know? Like we don't have like all this space to like just mellow out. Exactly. And, like, and things are not logically laid out. Like, you know, Grand Rapids is mostly just one big grid, and that's the case mm-hmm. for most Midwestern cities that were developed primarily mm-hmm. after the automobile, you know. So it's like um it's very easy to navigate and like figure out where you are in the world. And I think where I, where I uh, grew up, I was like, where, where am I? Like, what is, <laughs> well, and also like, like one thing I loved about living in Auburn was like, if I came to Pottsville from Auburn, I drove through like three towns, yeah. you know? And it's just like, but it was like 20 minutes, you know, yeah. it's such a small place. And like, um, and I think it's funny if you look at maps and like, as you look at the spread out of America from like the East coast, like, out into the rest of the country, things do get more like square and like more lined up properly. Yeah. Um, well, and so the grid was superimposed on a lot of cities and stuff after it was developed and it is very functional, but there's definitely some downsides to the grid too. And I think, um, 
Yeah, places like Schuylkill County and West Virginia are nonconformist by nature. You have to be. Because it just doesn't, you can't like. You can't pave a road that can't go straight. You can't you just know? go wherever you want. There's a mountain in the way, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you can't You can't just go. That's a great saying. Somebody get the, the, make a t-shirt that says that you can't just go where you want. There's a mountain in the way. Yeah, but what did Christ say? Our faith can move mountains. Oh, man. Wow. So this. <laughs> um, You're right, though. That's true. I, but then we go back to the same thing at the beginning of like, well, aren't your addictions and your bad habits, aren't they mountains, you know? Totally. And so like, you know, I th- like formative stages, right? You, even I think about like learning to drive or learning to spell. How about the fact that one of the first learned words that I learned to spell in public school in Schuylkill County was the word Schuylkill, S-C-H-U-Y-L-K-I-L-L. Are you serious? Yeah, that's affected my brain. I think in well, yeah. a number of ways. I mean, I remember when I went off to Asia, people were like, "Where are you from?" Right. I'm like Schuylkill County. Oh, trust me, it's the same in the rest of America too. Michigan people are like, "What?" If I say Yingling, there's like a fifty percent chance that people will know what I'm talking about in Michigan. Yeah, the mid. That's we're mostly like on the coast. Usually, I'll say like, "Yeah, I'm from like the Philadelphia side of." of uh pennsylvania. pennsylvania out in the woods and i'm like oh okay that's a context that but yeah. sometimes i'll say it's like yeah it's kind of close to where they filmed the office people like that too yeah but like realistically we're not it like because i like right it's very different and i'm not like being like you're a liar because i've done that exact because i worked with this guy who was from canada when i was over in taiwan and he would always tell people i was from philly because I'm like, right. well, what does it matter? Like, you're not going to know Schuylkill County, so I might as well just be from Philly, right. you know? exactly. Even though, like, I'm just the farthest thing from being from Philly. And it just, it depends. Of course, I've been more specific when it was, like, fitting to be. Right. But it's, there's sometimes where people just are like, they don't actually care. They're just, right. <laughs> they yeah. just want to make small talk, right. which is fine. But, All right. So, I know. was, we we talked about, talking about the idea of, like, um, the environment and talking about here. Okay. So I, this is something that I've been thinking of, and this is just a, we're, we're, uh, we're handbrake turning into this because cool. it's not really have anything to do with what we were just talking about, but I've been thinking about it. What do you think the, our proper relationship with plants and, um, yeah, plants and other, like other life should be? What what is what should that look like? I don't know why, but I feel like I want to ask you that question. Well, it's I'm I'm yeah, it's a big one, and I definitely care about that answer a lot. I don't. Um, that's a really difficult thing to consider. I mean, so I guess I could just say a little bit about where I, from my perspective, I feel like we are as a civilization currently. Um, you, uh, our our culture, I think, does not see nature, basically. Um, a lot of people are under the impression that grass and trees is nature, which is not true. Um, a lot of people don't understand the importance of biodiversity and how nature is an interconnected organism that is not um, indestructible and that the things that we do matter when it's concerning nature and you know, it's unfortunately, I, I think that we, yeah, climate change is one thing and 
it's real, but it's not the entirety of the picture. I think we have inherited um, a fundamentally uninformed view of the natural world that we really need to address as a civilization before yeah. it's too late. So in terms of what our relationship to plants, animals, etc., should be, that's that is something that needs to be figured out because I'm, you know, I've, uh, you know, vegetarianism is an interesting idea and it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad option for people who choose to be vegetarian, but I don't think it's realistic to expect everyone to be vegetarian or vegan, etc. I don't think that's, um, necessary even to create like a morally acceptable, a relationship with nature but if you do look at um our current farming practices i think most many people if not most people are aware that there are some really truly heinous uh things going on in terms of the way that we treat animals and that's because we're treating them as a product and as a commodity exclusively and not treating them as life and trees are treated the same way you know and in timber for most of u.s history um forests have been treated like agricultural land in the same way that you would um, plant, replant a forest that you've cut down would be the same way you would um, heart treat a cornfield. So you want to get as much product out of it as you possibly can. Um, meaning, you know, you plant, you're planting tall, straight trees that produce hard wood, and you cut them down for the maximum economic benefit. Which it's not, it's not without merit to to manage some timberland in that way. But we've totally. Um, well, for a period of time, like during the Industrial Revolution, we completely ignored um, ecology and the value of biodiversity. And I don't want to sound make it sound worse than it is because I think there are a lot of people who are working to fix that and have been. Um, but like given the current situation with <clears throat> the management of public lands in the current administration, it's all about extraction and creating money out of nature uh, rather than preserving nature as, as its own value and entity. And that that's not um, it's not sustainable in the literal sense that like it will not sustain life on Earth. And um, I wish like that more people would. I, I and that's my I, I mean, I'm you know, that's my opinion that's somewhat informed. Um, it's not an absolute truth, but it, that's my read on the situation. And, and I feel pretty strongly about that. And, and I totally believe that it's something that can be avoided, but I see it as a possible outcome, like within a few generations that things are going to be very, very, well, um, I think we're seeing it now. I think we're seeing, you know, hurricanes are getting worse. Yeah. We're in the middle of a pandemic. You know, I think nature itself is like, Enough is enough. And the problem with that is that nature wins. Um, yeah. And, you know, every time. Every time it wins. Yeah. And I... I let's, let's go back to the good book. I, I think a lot about the, the laws and the rules that were laid down in the, in the, <coughs> in the Torah, the, the law, or the first five books of the Bible. Um, and it talks about how... Every year, or I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what it is. Like every, I'm, I'm 
this is what I can remember. The idea of rotating your fields every year. Yeah. And then every seven years giving the land a rest and not planning at all. Right. And I wonder what... Seven years. And they did the same thing with their economy, sort of. Mm -hmm. And I, I wonder what... I wonder what the world would look like if we had taken that advice. Yeah. And it, I think the problem with it is you have to be conscious. You have to be intentional because you have to make sure that like you're storing up enough because that was the, the whole idea is like, listen, if you do this, if you abide by six years, you rotate the plant, the, your vegetation every year, take off that seventh year. I will make sure that in those six years that you have more than enough for that seventh year. Yeah. And I, I, I would love to know if that's true, you know? And, yeah. And the problem is, is I, I don't think in my lifetime I'll ever get to see a beautiful practice like that instilled. Maybe at a small scale, you know, because mm -hmm. it's reflecting like the Sabbath, right? And the idea of a day where everyone rests. I still, as much as I'm, you know, not like, as much as I was kind of like slamming conventional religion, I do think there's some merit to the idea of like, hey, this is the day of the week where like literally everybody takes a break. I kind of like that. And it's the same concept. Um, giving giving nature a break doesn't seem like such a bad or far-fetched idea to me. And um, Well, I, there's no love for nature. Like, I think you, I think you nailed it when the first thing you said was that that we're just not aware of nature, that we've just forgotten it's there. Because yeah. even when you said that, I was thinking of like myself of, I use, I use nature as this thing as if it's, you know, it's like, Oh, I want to experience a nice view. Let's go find nature. Right. But it, nature isn't just a nice view. Right. It's a living thing. And the idea that we are not part of nature is an illusion mm -hmm. completely. And, and I think, you know, it's, European cultural values, which have been very successful, which have um, promulgated around the world, whether, you know, you're talking about India or China, you know, the people, the places with the greatest populations, they're westernizing. And as they westernize, they're creating more environmental destruction than they ever did before, you know. Yeah. And um, people don't. It's it's not a guilt thing. I don't I don't want to say like it's you know, the West it's fault. The, it's the fault of white people or Europeans or anything like that. It's it's I don't I don't believe that. But I I do think you know you have to analyze the values of culture and the dominant culture has not valued nature, and it shows it shows in lawns. It shows in the fact that people are fine with substituting astroturf for grass. Um, mm -hmm. it, even, and you know, there's, I have my like points of contention. I would just say, I think again, this is one of those things where I've, I understand where I stand on this issue and actually taking steps to live out my values is very challenging at the same time. Right. You know? Yeah. Cause we're so trapped in this world where we have to use plastics and papers, you know? And right. Um, and I mean, I guess there's ways around that, right? So you can like take your own mug with your places and stuff like that. And I have done, but sure. I didn't today. Well, and know? it's like, but here's the thing, like, I think I, you know, you got it right that not everyone sh needs to be a vegetarian, but what if people intentionally ate meat less? Or just held like, to me, I, I'm at the point in my life now where I really think the root 
of these challenge. The, the only way that these things are going to be fixed is yes. If people choose to make different choices in their, in their sphere at a small and a local level, but also somebody has to get into the gears of the system and shake things up. And that means changing laws. That means, you know, having politicians who actually represent and care for the, the well, the environment, but also the well-being of people, you know, and I, I just don't think, I think in that, in, I haven't seen that much in my life, mm-hmm. you know. Well, here's what I would say. I think, I think, you know, voting and politicians and all those things, they obviously play an important role because they're the one that's making the laws that the companies have to, um, the standards that the companies have to go by. Yes. What I would also say is be the business that doesn't produce that, right? So it's right. like you can you can vote and do all these things, but at the same time, you need to shoulder the responsibility of setting up, you know, Gandhi got it right, be the change you want to see in the world, right? Yeah. So it's like if you don't want to see factories that produce waste, are you producing factories that aren't doing that, you know? Right. And that's that's the convicting. That's that's the yes. it's it's convicting and it's almost impossible because wh- who who am I to start a factory that would completely mitigate you know greenhouse gases or whatever you know it would it's totally right as an ideal I agree with it but then yeah. actually putting like your your hand to the plow how does that turn out you know well and that's where it comes back to you know making making the world around you within your sphere of influence better because like somebody listening might actually have the ability to change some things that you or I never will. Right. You know, um, and somebody else might have even less influence than we do, you know, and that's just the way it goes. I don't know. It, it's hard to say. I always remind myself sometimes of something that my, uh, pop-up used to say, which is that if you are in the hospital and you're a janitor then you should clean the hospital as well as you can. And if you're in the hospital and you're in a heart, you're a heart surgeon, you should perform heart surgery as well as you can. And both are equally important. And I right. think that's something that was understood as a value in the past. And um, I feel a lot of people have lost sight of that. And sometimes, you know, I, I, it's it's weird because we live in a very competitive culture where it's like it feels like you need to be the best at whatever you do and that if no matter how much you achieve it's never enough and you could put that same thing into morality right where you're saying like well maybe i recycle and i compost but um you know what don't i do and what am i doing about racism what am i doing about income inequality right and it's it's and it goes on and on and on and you can't do it all right you can only do a little bit no matter who you are i guess right and that's what I would say is, like, listen, there are too many burdens for you to bear. So you need to find the ones that you can bear best and bear those well. Yeah. Because if everyone does that, my hope and my faith is that all the problems would be covered. If everyone really answered to the conviction in their heart and their consciousness, then I think we'd have a world that would radiate God, you know, if people yes. did that. Um, but unfortunately, we are too much into gratifying the ego. Um, And I think that ego is the substitute for actual uh, achievement, not achievement, attainment, mm -hmm. embodiment, right? So 
we have this, the little, the ego represents the little I, right? The, mm-hmm. the one that's driven by base desires, pretty much, whatever those are, conquest and, and, um, conquests of various forms, I guess, really. And, and that being driven by that at times may be inevitable, but the degree to which you're not driven by those things is the degree to which you can really manifest your op- optimal self, your the, yeah. your higher self. And that's, again, it's easy when you start talking about this stuff to get, for me anyway, to get into the mode of like feeling guilty about not having done enough because like it's just natural, I guess. But Well, it really, comes from a good place because look at what you're saying. It's like, I want to do more, right? Yeah, and thinking about doing knowing the good things to do is like fine again but how how much do we actually do and i think like you said humility and forgiveness toward yourself is is so important because otherwise it becomes a, a, just another game that people play about i've done this much good i've raised this much money for charity and you know i worked at this nonprofit or whatever the case may be. I served at this church. I went on a mission trip to this country. You know, doing good becomes its own ego-based game that people play. And at that point, it's not really, even though it might be helping people, ultimately, is it helping uh, you, you know? And uh, I don't know. Everybody, the definition of what doing good is, is kind of different for everyone. And like you said, if people make their own, follow the convictions in their own heart. I think that would be, that would literally be all that would be needed to change everything. Yeah. But for some reason, a lot of us are convinced that if, if it doesn't matter if we do that or not. And, um, you know, I just, I, I think maybe we should, um, maybe we should just give it a try, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Maybe, (laughs) maybe we do have, maybe we do have the power to like, avoid the apocalypse that would be cool yeah i'd hope so because i'd like to have like kids and grandkids and great grandkids someday yeah and i don't want them to live in a hellscape yeah well here's here's what i would say even if they do live in a hellscape then you want to raise little deities you know just to help because like here like i man i want to do a solo episode on the apocalypse that idea I'm, so just the teaser for things to come. I'll be listening um, to that for sure. That sounds cool. But I'll give you a little sneak sneak into that is that the word apocalypse, that word is a Greek word for the lifting of the veil. Right. And wow. so it's it's a marriage symbolism and it's a coming together. And it's it's. I mean, you look at ha- what's happening right now. Where it's like we're in the apocalypse. Well, what's happening? Where racism is becoming very apparent, the the systematic oppression of lower class individuals is incredibly apparent. Our to some our incredibly corrupt political landscape is becoming apparent to some. Right. Like so, the veil is lifting, you know, and we're seeing these beautiful things, and my hope. You know, being an optimist, trying to be an optimist, is that if I have kids, if you have kids, that they're raised in a world where those problems are beginning to sort themselves out. And I think because we're in the middle of the apocalypse, we're, it's hard for us to 
be like, well, yeah, these problems have been trying to sort themselves out for forever. Yes. But that's hope, you know, is that like, well, maybe if not me, maybe them, you know? Yep. And, and that's very, that's very real. And I, yeah, man, that's the, that's the beautiful thing about faith and the hard thing about faith. And I think this is embodied in Christ the most. And when I see it in so many people, it's just the, the idea that if you, um, even if you, if your personal life, uh, for whatever reason is like marred with tragedy and things don't work out the way you want them to, if you do the best you can with what you have, it's still worth it. Right. You know, and, and seeing that's, that's the kind of attitude, that's the kind of like being that could potentially save the world save the world yep and that's that's a big thing to say but it's true and i I believe it's true and you know again to talk about like if you talk about that as opposed to talking about like do you believe in this set of religious statements right it's they're not even the same thing yeah and and uh it's an interesting dynamic to be a part of, and I, I am seeing it in more and more people, that I think our generation, we've gotten a lot, like millennials, I guess, have gotten a lot of uh, uh, flack for being lazy or entitled. Um, and I would say I resent that quite a lot because I don't think that we're lazy and entitled. I think that we're fed up with an empty system that doesn't create change and we're fed up with a system that allows people to go along to get along when they know that something is deeply wrong with the establishment and they know in their heart that things really ought to change but it's just easier to collect the 401k and and you know i i think we're not it's i think we're we're exactly the the we're obviously product of our of our times, and I think that I have a lot of hope and faith in in our generation and what what the world could look like if we become what we could be, you know. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, is there anything that you'd like to say before we wrap this thing up, man? Um. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Yeah, I'm really excited about everything that's going on in Pottsville and everything you're doing here. So it's cool to see. And uh, yeah, thanks. Yeah, no problem, man. One one thing I'll say is that like just sitting here and listening to you is such a it's such a privilege and such an honor because you're so smart and you're so I can see that every word that comes out of your mouth is very much thought of. Is this the most loving thing to do? And <laughs> Like I can see that in your actions. I know, I know that that's the driving force behind you, and it's just a, a privilege to be able to hear and, and soak that in. Wow! Um, Thanks, man. Yeah, dude. I uh, I love you very much, and I'm like, it's been great. Like we haven't gotten to spend very much time together, but it's it's always a mitzvah whenever we do get to to cross paths because we're such kindred spirits. Yeah. Um, I love you too, man. Thank you. I. Jamie has an album coming out. It's called You Are the Light. 
which is we could have just talked about that all day because that statement alone i i've always loved it and i ever since i've heard that song i think every show i've seen you play i make you play that because <laughs> it's it's a phenomenal song and it's just the truth and yeah um so thanks man yeah dude i'm excited um if you want to listen to the album on spotify that would be cool i have uh compact discs available um Let's CDs. Party like let's party like it's 1999. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I I really would love for people to listen to it. Um, yeah. I'll have it linked below so you can check that out. Um, yeah. I guess we didn't talk much about the album, but that's okay. No, that's fine. We're doing something <laughs> else. Yeah, I was just, just going to say that. So by the time this comes out, Jamie and I will have already done a pressed uh, live stream for album release for his show. We're actually going to go ahead and do that in a couple minutes. Um, so that should already be up on Pressed uh, over on the Facebook page there. So if you want to check that out, we'll I'll be playing first, and then we'll do another little interview talking about the album. So we'll get a chance to get that all out of the way and up onto the internet, no problem. And then Jamie's going to be playing for like 50 minutes, so that's a beautiful amount of time to come and soak in his his lovely, lovely music. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be making you drive all the way out here from Michigan if I didn't believe that your music was as wonderful as it is, man. Well, it was, it was a good reason to come back and see some see some people I was missing anyway, so it works out. Yep. Yep. All right. Uh, I need to get a sign-off for the show. I don't have anything. Hmm. Um, yeah. It's a good... Uh, do you want to say the Lord's Prayer? <laughs> i don't know that's pretty gendered language for 2020 that's true um, our deity that our <laughs> anyways infinite mystery our infinite mystery <laughs> i don't even our father who art in heaven our that is everywhere that'd be a real project to make a, a lord's prayer that's not gendered i don't think that's a whole another thing we could talk about yep. masculine feminine we'll what have does you it come, all mean Oof. we'll have you come back for that sometime cool all right uh, sleep tight, everybody. I don't know. <laughs> I like that. Good. Peace.